On this week's show, we're joined by John Mackey. John is the High Performance Director at Canoeing Ireland, and on today's show, he talks about how we as coaches have the responsibility to help athletes to be the best that they can be. He talks about the importance of not seeking recognition as a coach. And that old chestnut again, he talks about the importance of reflective practice and how it can help develop your own coaching. We talk about this and much more on the show. As always, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. So, John, thanks a million for coming on. It's great to have you here. Um, so there's loads we're going to touch on. Uh, and uh, you have a very diverse coaching background, as the intro would have said. Um, but we were talking before we came on about um, embracing the title of the coach. And I really like that sort of idea. So I think maybe we'll jump in straight there. Can you maybe tell us, explain to us what you mean by embracing the title of coach? Yeah, um, first of all, thanks for having me on, Stephen and Niall. It's a great pleasure to be here with you guys. I uh, hope I can add some value and a little bit of interest to the discussion. Uh, what, what a place to start. Um, embracing the title of the coach. I suppose um, nowadays, you know, anyone can be, can be a coach. You know, whether you turn up for a session for an hour or two hours a week. You've been entrusted with this responsibility from a team or from a group of athletes or from an athlete with their um, with their with their goals, with their development, with their uh, aspirations within their own sport. We think as coaches we have a responsibility to make sure that they get the very best from us. And what I mean by in embracing the role is to make sure that you understand exactly what the role is um, as a coach. A coach to a person, you're a coach to uh, a brother, you know, a son, a sister, a wife, a husband, to understand that you're interacting with people. And in order to understand that, I think it's important that we, um, you know, that we learn about what it means to be a coach and to know that we've been entrusted with these aspirations and goals um, that have been given to us from other people. So it's very easy for someone to turn up uh, on a Monday night at seven o'clock and just to bark out orders about getting a class done and running people into the ground and, you know, making them sweat as much as possible. That's easy. Coaching is a very complex um, role. It's a very complex issue. And it's complex because we're dealing with people and we're dealing with people's aspirations and goals, whether that's just to get fit and lose weight or whether it's to perform at the highest level. At a national or international level, it makes no difference. We've got a responsibility to people. We are teachers within sport. We're motivators. We're mentors. Sometimes we're, we're called psychologists. I don't want to question that. Maybe very poor psychologists sometimes. But um, I think if you're going to coach and if you're going to take on that title as, as coach, I think it's important that you embrace it in, in its entirety, purely based on the fact that you're um you're dealing with human beings and you're, and, and, and you're being entrusted by those human beings with their own motivations and their own aspirations to be better at something in their own lives. Okay. Great way to start. Very deep, uh, de deep one to start with. So we've lost. And it's only one o'clock in the day, Stephen. Wait, wait till it gets five o'clock. <laughs> um, we've loads to jump in on there. So my first reaction, uh, sorry, I thought it was a great answer, but my first reaction is for, let's say for someone listening, um, who is only starting out maybe or, or is very early in their coaching journey and all those different roles and the complexity that you outlined, they may now be going, oh, holy God, what have I got myself into? So what is your advice to them or, or how, like, is that too much for someone at the start or how did you get to, or how do we get to what you're talking about? Yeah, well, that's, that's a super question and I'm very conscious. I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, I'm sitting up here on the peak of a mountain looking down at everybody after coming through, a, you know, this coaching journey. But I think I can, 
I certainly think I can reflect on my own coaching journey and, and how I started as a coach and to where I am now. Um, and I th I'd like to think on two different people. So 16 years ago, I started on my coaching journey in a school hall in Cabra with a, a group of kids teaching them Taekwondo and kickboxing. And I think my philosophy at the time was really about getting recognized as a coach uh, within my sport. So I had a philosophy of let's win medals. And, you know, this is how I'm going to get, I'm going to get recognized. But very quickly along that journey, you realize that that's not why everybody's involved in sport. Um, and it's, I think it's just through, I think it's just through about maybe learning a little bit more about what coaching actually is um, and, and, and how your role as a coach is impacting on people. If you can just start with that, if you can just start with understanding that the, you know, the athlete that you have in front of you or the team that you have in front of you is a group of people with all different um, various backgrounds, various households that they come from, different family situations, circumstances. Um, and we need to be very cognizant of all of that. Um, and I think you need to be aware that they're all involved in, in, in sport for different reasons. And, and it's not only, um, and I remember Liam Moggan saying this in his interview, I think his daughter said it to him, you know, it's not always about you, dad, is what they say to him. And it's true, it's not always about us. In fact, most of the time it's not about us at all, but we're a support mechanism. I think maybe that's a good starting point as a, as a novice coach, as a developing coach. Your role is to support people on their journey. And if that means, you know, winning and a performance along the way, well, that's great, but it has to be second to making sure that you're developing people and you're working with people and you understand that. And that's all very well in a, in a fluffy sense to say that. Um, and I know we'll be discussing kind of coaching philosophies um, later on. Um, but I think that's probably a good starting point for a coach coming in and starting their journey is just to understand that you're dealing with people um, and get to know the people, get to know the person behind the athlete and the people behind the team. OK, so you talk about a coaching philosophy and, and about that you're dealing with people. And we'll touch on that again. But in terms of your own philosophy, you're saying you started 15 or 16 years ago and you, you, your philosophy has changed a lot in that time. Could you maybe touch, touch on that in terms of were there any light bulb moments where you were like, oh, this is what it's about. Um, that, as you said, chasing medals or whatever at the start is not. It, it, like, can you pin it on a, a point in time that, that, that you changed? Um, I think the honest answer is probably no. I can't I can't define one moment or one light bulb moment where I said, Jamie Mack, I need to rethink what I'm doing here. But I think it's kind of an accumulation of moments. And a lot of those moments and light bulbs have sparked off by engaging with other coaches who might be a little bit more experienced than me, who have traveled on the journey and who have made mistakes. I think that's crucial for any developing coach to make sure that you've got a network of other coaches that are, you know, that you can engage with, that you can ask questions of. Um, and that you have somebody within your network or your support network that's going to challenge you in the way you're doing things. And, and if you're a reflective thinker, if you're constantly evaluating your own practice, I think you'll come to a point where you recognize that certain things that you're doing might be incorrect or you know, might be detrimental to the sport, or might be detrimental to the person or to the team that you're coaching. The truth is, Stephen, I don't fully understand what my coaching philosophy is right now because I think it's changing. And the more people I interact with, the more I learn, the more it changes. But I can't say that I'm a different, I would like to think I'm a different coach than what I was when I started off, which was very performance orientated. Combat sport in itself is a sport that has a very strong performance culture. And one of the weaknesses of that is that the performance culture seeps down into the junior ranks and you've got children who are effectively training like adults and you've got that 
uh, early specialization factor kind of within um, most elements of combat sport and i think those that culture of early specialization impacts on the coach's behavior um, and that coaching behavior then will be about you know the training and the training style and philosophy will all will be about performance and, and winning medals right down to seven eight and nine year olds and i came through that system i came through that process and i think just through talking with other experienced coaches, engaging with coach education platforms, um, and then just being critical about what you're doing with yourself and understanding that it's not always about the performance, it's not always about the medals, but it's more about where people are going on their journey. And I think through that, I remember reading a book called um, Top Dog, The Science of Winning and Losing. And for the first time, I kind of came across this uh, this concept of, of um, what the Greeks termed, the Greek philosophers termed as arite, which is the, you know, the finding the fullness of potential in, one, in oneself. And the Greeks knew that through sport, that a human being could, um, you know, could hone their skills through sport, both mentally and physically, and reach that pinnacle of, um, of reaching full human potential. And I think for me, that was the first time that sport really became, um, I think I understood what sport could do or the value of sport for people was that it gave them the opportunity, like a microcosm of life, where they could focus on goals, they could challenge themselves, um, you know, whether that's through competition or through participation, um, and step outside of their comfort zones and, and expand and grow as people. And I think sport is a very powerful vehicle that can do that um, at all levels. And then you start to wonder, well, where do you fit in as a coach in relation to all of that? And I think if you, I think personally, I, I take elements of that philosophy um, into my coaching behaviors and I try to get the best out of people that I possibly can by you know helping them set goals by challenging them by encouraging them to step outside of that comfort zone um, but I mean my overarching philosophy I think is is, is changing um, and it reminds me of a, of a, a little story if we've, if we've time it won't take too long it's a, it's, it's a story that was told by Stephen Covey um, Covey wrote the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People um, and they talked about the definition of success and that. And, and the story was that there was a guy walking down the street and he came to a church and there was a lot of people in the church. So he was interested. He walked in. And when he walked in, he found there was a funeral on. But uh, very quickly, he realized it was his own funeral. Um, and he was very interested in what was going on. Um, so he sat and he listened to the eulogies and he sat and he listened to what people were saying and what they were saying about him. Um, and Kobe, Kobe, kind of said, Kobe kind of intimated that, you know, it's really when you've finished your career, it's really when you've come to the end of it that your philosophy is really uh, exposed, you know, and that philosophy is really based on what other people think um, because they'll be the recipients of your behavior. So regardless of what you think you're doing, um, it's whether it, your philosophy aligns with what you're really doing um, and what you're really doing within those practices. So within that funeral setting, I know it's a bit more, but it's an interesting point. You'd like, I, I would personally like to, to hear my eulogy being, you know, that he, he, he um, you know, he pushed us to be the best that, that we, we could be, you know, he challenged us to make us to be better people within sport. Um, and I think that's something that I'd like to aspire to, but I'm not there yet. I've still a lot of learning to do. I've still a, hopefully a long journey to go, but and who knows? It might be the, it might be the opposite. There might be two people at my funeral. Everyone else thinks I was a bugger of a coach. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that, John, uh, given your uh, CV. Um, I just think something you, you mentioned there a couple of times, and it's I think it'd be really affirming for people listening. You, you talk about not knowing fully your coaching philosophy. And I think that's massively important because 
so many people talk about you have to know your coaching philosophy and you have to have your coaching philosophy and for those let's say beginner or novice coaches or those early in their journey that may not be the case because it does as you say it takes time to to evolve and, and to find out what's important and stuff so i think the very nature of someone actually saying that gives those people okay well maybe i don't have to know it or i don't have to do it but i do also like the way though that you say you knew parts of it you know parts of it as in you know you want to to push people outside their comfort zone you know you want to make people better so by starting with that sort of a foundation i suppose the rest of it can evolve as it goes on and i think that is really interesting for people to hear and probably not said enough particularly at coaches at, at, at a top level um you mentioned that you like to try and get people to to step outside their comfort zone okay so as a coach that's i suppose something that we all aspire to do to push people but not too much just enough to help them go on so could you maybe explain what methods you'd use there or how you'd actually do that yeah sure um obviously my background is in is in combat sport and um i think the real stretch of a person or an athlete is when they step in, into the ring to engage with another person within that sport and it's the same for all sports it's not just combat sport but when you step on to the field to perform i think you're you're stepping out of your comfort zone and into a you know into an area where you can expand as a person and I always like to, to say to the athletes that I've been working with throughout the years that um, regardless of the performance and regardless of the result, as soon as you step onto the mat or you step through the ropes in the ring, you've already won because that's the biggest challenge. And I've worked with athletes throughout the year who struggle with having the ability and the confidence to actually get in and to compete and to perform. And I think competition allows that to happen. I think competition gives us that vortex where we can expand as people and we can challenge ourselves as people in you know in 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 the raw gaze of the audience where everyone is watching and you're under the lights i think that's a really powerful place to be but it's a really difficult place to get to unless you've got the right support network around you so as soon as you get into the ring and regardless of what happens as soon as you step onto the field as soon as you step onto the ice as soon as you step onto the basketball court and you're putting yourself forward for competition I think that's a really unique place to be. I think it's a really challenging place to be. And I think there's a lot that we can take from that as humans. Okay. And and so in combat sport, that is the stepping out the comfort outside the comfort zone. For sure. I think it's a huge step. Um, I mean, you can get familiar and you can get comfortable with your training regimes and uh, knowing that you can go home at the end of it. Um, and you're training in a, a relatively comfortable environment where you might know everybody. Um, and that's fine if that's what your goals are and, and, and that's what inspires you to train. That's that's great. That's for you. Um, and that's brilliant. But to take that extra step and to go and compete, uh, and in particular, I think, and I'm being biased here because I come from combat sport, but to compete within combat sport is tough because you've got an opponent who wants to grind you down, who wants to physically wear you out and hit you, which psychologically can be very... Uh, unusual it can be difficult to get over um, and I think for anyone that steps into the ring or onto the mats in any combat sport I think they're really uh, stepping out of their comfort zone and into an area where they can be challenged and challenged as I say we're in the raw gaze of, of everybody watching you know and it's um, uh, you, you can be exposed um, and you can you can do really well and it can push you on to the next levels in your own development. Okay, um, and I'm going to come back to the, to the uh, kickboxing and, and move on to the canoeing very shortly. But there's one other thing that you said that I want to touch on. 
you talk about um asking for help or learning from other coaches who might be more experienced etc is that something you've actively pursued to have that sort of a mentorship relationship with 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 other coaches and is that something you'd be prepared to talk about i'm not, not asking to give away any names Renton, but maybe some of your experiences because i can imagine for real learning to take place some difficult conversations have to take place too yeah for, yeah for sure um and sometimes those conversations can be quite critical of what of what you're doing and i think you need to be open to that criticism you need to come at those conversations with an open mind i think your starting point is that you need to have um, a desire to keep learning to be a better coach you need to have um, an insatiable desire for knowledge and I think I do I love knowledge I'm a bit of a sponge when it comes to that and I love learning from people and if I don't know something I don't pretend to know it I like to ask and to get advice and to um, you know to wonder why people are doing things in a certain way and there have been coaches throughout my career who have I suppose they've acted as springboards um, whether they've changed the behavior for me or whether they've pushed me in a direction uh, towards other knowledge um, there have been people and, and interestingly enough I mean I've, I've been involved with combat sport coaching for a long time um, and less of that time has been involved in, in coaching and instructing within the canoe sport so I have a level three instructor qualification within recreational whitewater canoeing but some of the most inspirational um, coach developers I've met within canoeing have influenced my coaching behaviors and my coaching philosophy as a kickboxer so for the first time um i think one of the big mentors that i've that i've had throughout my uh, coaching journey and he probably doesn't even realize there's a guy called john pierce and john was the coach developer on my my um level one my level two and my level three um coach training within canoeing but everything that i've learned from john i've, I've applied to my coaching uh, my coaching um, behaviors and my, my coaching practice and for the first time from dealing with John I, I came across the concept of you know powerful questioning and probing so you could ask John a question and you'd never get an answer he'd always push you to find the answer for yourself um, and you'd be left kind of scratching your head and you'd be left driving home and maybe even lying awake at night searching for the answer but you'd find the answer somewhere along the way but the answer is very special and very individual to you rather than what his answer might be so that was the first time that I, I understood the concept of that probing questions or powerful questioning. And I brought that to my own coaching practice within kickboxing. And I think I, I, think I observed some really interesting uh, results of that, which, which meant that athletes then had to talk to each other to try and find out the questions. So now they're, to use Seamus Kelly's word, uh, problematizing, you know, they're working out stuff within, the, within their own structures, within themselves. And as a coach, you're now standing back watching this happening. And that's very, very powerful. It's really powerful from a position of observation and what you've actually stimulated within your group of athletes, um, I think is really, really important. So John would certainly be one of those people um, and has inspired me to kind of go on and ask questions of other coaches. And within kickboxing, you've got, we've got a host of experienced coaches and I served as um, assistant national coach to uh, Ian Kingston from West Cork, who was a mentor of mine and continues to be a tactician of the game as someone who understands combat sport inside out and I've learned a lot from him from a um, tactical point of view so I've been lucky enough to be influenced by people who have um, impacted positively on my own coaching practice and behaviours and my own understanding of the sport as well so I think that boils down to having um, an ability to say look I don't know the answer to that I think one of the limiting things we can uh, inflict on ourselves as coaches is trying to pretend that we know everything because we have the title of coach one of the most powerful things we can say as an individual and more so as a coach is say, I don't know. 
I don't know, because if I keep saying I don't know, it's going to keep pushing me on to learn more. It's keep pushing me on to get more information that makes me a better coach, makes me a better person. And hopefully then the outcome of that is happier athletes. Yeah, and again, a great message for anyone listening that saying I don't know is okay. You're not expected to know everything. And, and I think, again, maybe uh, particularly for for coaches again we say these novice coaches but these could be coaches who are only early into their careers or their, their journeys and um just not known as okay and that's the whole idea of of leaning on this and i really like the idea of the mentorship thing it's something i've done myself and had massive benefit from and i think people sometimes are maybe i'm not going to say too proud to ask for help but maybe maybe embarrassed to, to ask but most coaches are very very willing to help if they can yeah. absolutely i think i think it's one of the reasons maybe why we kind of you know we, we lean towards coaching as a career or as a hobby is that there's something within us you know whether it's a calling or not i don't know that just you like to help people you know whether that's athletes or other coaches there's something within you that you've developed through your years of being on the earth that you just want to help people in some way and if that's through sport well then that's the way we do it yeah i'm just writing that quote down there because that's 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 a gem there coaches like to help people i think you could uh, be a long time looking for a definition of coaching that's better than that. Um, just want to touch on um, so your role in terms of the high performance director in Canoe in Ireland. So relatively new role, I think. Um, could you maybe talk through some of the challenges and, and some of the, the successes you've had thus far? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a relatively new role. Um, I came into the I came into the position in October two thousand and eighteen. So just coming up to to two years in the role. Previous to that, um, there was no professional high performance structure within the national governing body. Um, and I suppose the the NGB itself came through a bit of a turbulent time from a governance perspective. And uh, we had an interim CEO uh, work with um, before I before I was employed by Canoe Ireland and Paddy Boyd. And Paddy has an extensive CV um, across professional sport from sailing here in Ireland to sailing in Canada and is now working with Modern Pentathlon. And, and I came into the role under Paddy's tutelage as the interim chief executive there as he tried to build out the performance structures before he before he moved on from the interim role. And it's been it's been a very interesting um, it's been a very interesting two years. And we've had a lot of work. The last kind of 18 months have been focused on just developing um protocol and process and selection policy and kind of all that mundane heavy text work that has to be done in the background athlete agreements and contracts um, at the same time you're trying to reach out to the you know to the base of athletes and, and to the coaches who just through how the national governing body was was um structured we're all kind of working independently and working in a, in a semi-siloed kind of um uh, way and the job that we had was to try and get everyone to one place where we could all talk together um, and engage and identify some common ground and maybe just identify some shared objectives that we would like to achieve. So one of the big pieces of work that has been done in the last, um, towards the last six months of last year was the development of a performance strategy. So for the first time, the strategy proposed some of those shared objectives of where we want to be in four years time in terms of the Paris Olympic Games. And beyond that, um, so that was a it was a big piece of work that was that was done, and we had lots of feedback from it, and lots of people got involved in it. Um, and our, our key stakeholders, like Sport Ireland, the Olympic Federation, were involved and had some pretty positive feedback for us and some suggestions on how we might change things going forward. I think some of the challenges have been um, I'm not historically from the sport, 
I don't, uh, even though I've been involved recreationally at a club level for many years, for over 10 years now, um, I haven't been directly involved in the competitive end of, of the sport. So we've two Olympic disciplines. One is canoe slalom, the other is, is canoe sprint. Um, and obviously some of the challenges for me personally was to get to understand those sports, get to understand the, the rules of the sport, get to understand um, the makeup of the sport and to get to know the people who are involved with it. And look, it's not it's not unlike any other sport where somebody comes in from the outside. You know, your credentials are can be questioned, and that's fine. I enjoy that. Um, I like the challenge of it. But performance, re, you know, regardless of the sport, the fundamentals of performance are the same, absolute same. You're dealing with people in a sport, whether the physiological and physical demands of that sport are different, um, it, it, it makes no difference. And obviously, I had a lot of experience to kind of build on from my, my work within kickboxing. So I've been working within kickboxing at national and international level. So there's a lot of things that I've learned that I brought into the role with me, uh, into the, the high-performance role. We have a lot of work to do. Um, obviously, Tokyo uh, was never going to be a real objective for us. But having said that, we have an athlete qualified in Camus Slalom, and that's Liam, Liam Jigou. Uh, Liam is based in France and qualified at both space last year. Um, it's actually Robert Hendrick won the both space at the World Championships, but then was subsequently beaten on a race off by Liam. So Liam is our Tokyo selected athlete. Um, but the real job of work for us, I think, going forward is going to be the paracycle and where we'll be in four years' time and where we'll be in eight years' time when LA comes knocking on the door. And we've a, we've a, we've a pile of work to do, both in terms of development and in terms of developing high-performance programs, rather than athletes working individually with, with um, coaches and doing their own things, but to maybe pull that all together into one unified kind of position and create one unified team identity and bring all the sports science support in there with it as well so we can impact positively on, on athletes' careers. It sounds fascinating, and uh, I'd, I'd certainly be, be looking out now on, on the news reports now for the for the races and that. Um, you mentioned there, so b- between canoeing and kickboxing, they're both sort of individual sports, but training as a team potentially is 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 also happening as well. How do you deal with that dynamic of the individual within the team and potentially could even be competing against each other? Yeah, it's it's an unusual dynamic, and I think it it, it you could probably come at it from from two points of view number one you have to know the person but then you have to know the person within the team and when the person's within the team they tend to uh, adopt a, a different identity the team identity is different to the individual's identity and I think it's really important that you know the differences between that and you really you need to know how to interact and engage with the person um, which will be different to interacting and engaging with the person as part of the team so the team itself kind of develops its own identity or, or that would certainly be the wish that would, it would develop its own identity, which would be separate to the athlete's identity. And I think it's crucial to understand and know the differences between those two. Um, and then within that, you've got the dynamic of inter-team competition, because in many cases, athletes are kind of vying for the same position on the team. So, for example, in canoe slalom, um, only three uh, at European and, and world level, only three athletes can attend so that means if you've got five or six athletes there has to be some sort of inter-team competition and selection process so there's lots of different dynamics within the team environment that impact on the person and i think you have to be very careful and very clever and be very astute and aware of those subtle differences when you're dealing with people and dealing with people within teams yeah it's um it's interesting i i i, I from a ga background in terms of my coaching and I can never quite get my head around the the individual versus the the team within as in training together, but going out and competing as as an individual. It's it's something that fascinates me, and 
like I've so much respect for coaches in those disciplines because it's just so difficult to do. And I remember we were talking to um, Hayley Harrison on the show and she talked about like she'd have these Olympians in the team versus people who regional or national runners or whatever in the team. But just making that dynamic work can be very beneficial to both those elite athletes and the, the maybe not so elite athletes because people strive to be better, but also it's a more relaxed atmosphere and stuff like that. So yeah. I think there's massive benefits for it, but it's something I haven't never been exposed to. I struggle to, uh, to, to wrap my head around, you know? Um, yeah 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 i think it, it's it's very it's, it is it's very different and um, i had the pleasure of of experiencing team sport when i was a teenager growing up so i played soccer and i played hockey for for school so um i felt what it was like to to compete with a team and, and to train with a team and i think being a lazy individual teenage athlete that i was i found it easier for the team to kind of carry me at times uh so i could hide maybe hide a little bit on the pitch if i wasn't feeling up to it and then get chastised at half time for it whereas an individual I'm not sure if, if you know, whether there's, there's, there's differences in self-regulation and motivation. I'm sure there probably are, there probably is, and, and psychologists might correct me on that. But um, to get out and sit in a boat, um, as some of our canoe athletes will do, like Barry Watkins or Ronan Foley and Sprint will be in a boat maybe at six or half, six in the morning time, regardless of the weather, down at Salmon Leap Canoe Club, getting in the miles, getting in those kilometres under their belt um, and training hard. And that's difficult to do on your own. But I think it's probably something you, you become accustomed to and maybe um, maybe you prefer that as a person. Maybe you've been drawn to the particular sport because it's an individual sport and it kind of suits your own, your own core beliefs. Yeah. Uh, I want to change tack slightly. You uh, completed the Masters in Coaching Science in UCD. Um, you referenced Seamus Kelly. He's a, he's a big... We're big fans of Seamus on the show. Um, Absolutely, um, I can see why. But um, you talk about um, you've you talked about different um, wanting to learn and and CPD and stuff like that earlier on. Mm -hmm. You're obviously a a big proponent of continuous learning. Is that mm -hmm. something you think is took you time to get to? Were you always like this, or did you have to realize I actually don't know everything to to get moving on? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I th I think. Uh, if you were to maybe scratch the surface and boil it right back when I started coaching within that performance culture of me wanting to be as good as my peers and maybe better than my peers I, I had this desire to find out how to do that and even though my um, my approach to coaching has changed I think I've, I've kept that desire for knowledge um, and I've kept that desire to want to keep learning and to get more information um, and I think that's one of the things that spurred me on to, uh, to apply um, for the Masters which was actually subsequently um, mentioned to me by John Pierce, funnily enough, who was my mentor and my, my instructor developer through level one, level two, level three. And I got a text one day off him to say, hey, have you seen this course is going in UCD? And I thought, Jesus, you know, would I, you know, do I belong there? Would I get in? Would I, you know, what's, what, what, you know, what's it all about? Obviously, a master's is a huge piece of work and it's uh, talking about stepping out of your comfort zone. But I applied for it um, and I got onto the course and I can safely say hand on heart, it's one of the best decisions I've made as a coach, absolute best decisions made as a coach. And I would highly recommend any coach out there who's really interested in getting involved in that rich academic knowledge that's available within coaching science to, to apply to that course. You will not be disappointed, will not be disappointed whatsoever. Yeah, I, I uh, backed that up as I was on that course as well. And uh, like for someone like... Uh, 
basically cabinet maker by trade and went to college very nice. late and, and yeah. uh, was the same as you, very, very hesitant to apply even at that time. Yeah. Um, but I was very lucky, got some great advice from some good people and the, the, the people on the course were fantastic. And it's actually great to see now that there's other coaching masters and stuff like that popping up. There's one down in UL. And UL is coming together, yeah. And there's, um, there's a, a, a prof, uh, prof doc starting. DCU, DCU. yeah. So um, it's great to see coaching getting that bit more, um, I suppose, people wanting to learn. So there's an appetite for it out there, but yeah. also getting that little yeah. bit more recognition that it is, it's such a, an important role in, in society. Um, so in terms of, um, you never want to stop learning. You, you're always pushing on to, to drive yourselves. So at the level you're at now, are there opportunities for you now to, to, to continually progress? Is it now more sort of informal learning through conversations or is there a CPD you can go and pursue? Um, it's funny that the, the, the master's degree has springboarded me off in a different direction that I never even knew existed. So uh, one of the modules on the course was around exercise physiology and nutrition. Um, and I always had kind of a textbook understanding of physiology and how the human body works. But that particular module kind of opened up. I was a little bit like a child in a sweet shop with the amount of information that was available to me. And uh, I didn't know where to stop um, in relation to all of that. So I, I took on for the dissertation, I, I really stepped outside of my own comfort zone and I took on um, a topic that was related to exercise science and physiology. And it's around functional threshold power, which is a concept probably most known to endurance athletes and cyclists more so. Um, so I've, I've gone off down the rabbit hole of exercise physiology and I'm loving it. So I don't know where I'm going to be when I come out the other side of it. But there's certainly opportunities. Um, and I've got a wonderful supervisor in Dr. Katie Horner. Um, there's lots of opportunities on the back of this particular research topic that might push into a PhD or just into further learning, further education. So I've, I've got a mind to that and I'm excited about it. But um, I will, I'll never take the foot off the accelerator in engaging with other coaches and asking other coaches how they're doing things and listening to podcasts. Obviously, with this lockdown uh, affecting everybody, I think the listenership of podcasts has probably gone through the roof. And, and, and I'm one of the people who's constantly listening in and listening into the coaching bubble and, and, other, and other podcasts about different you know, areas of sports science. Um, and engaging with, with people online and Instagram is a great place to engage with other coaches and other experts in the field uh, just by engaging in conversation and questions in the background I've got to know um, some very interesting people and some very very great people within their own uh, environments and some of them I've got to know as friends some of them are based here in Dublin so excellent yeah again again great message for anyone listening that there's always there's always room or scope to improve and I think even to coaches i think sometimes they get very caught up on getting certain certificates and, and stuff like that but i think some of the richest learning is from talking to your peers and the coaches that are around you and have gone before you so there's huge Absolutely. learning in that um john i'm, I'm really conscious we're after flying through uh time wise here so um we have three questions that we ask everyone at the end um so i'm sure you're aware so the first one uh what does the term successful coach mean to you yeah, I had to think about this one. Um, I think success is defined in different ways by different people, um, and I think as coaches, um, and as you alluded to earlier, right, I think one of the you know one of the draw one of the reasons why we're drawn to coaching is that we want to help. But there's also a competitive element to coaching, and I think we like to win. I think coaches like to win, especially if you're involved in coaching at a performance level. Winning is always um, you know winning is always nice, and everybody likes to have 
a competitive streak behind them. But separate to that, um, I can draw on two quotes, and I'm a bit of lover of quotes from other coaches and from other people that inspire me and kind of give me some some direction. Uh, and I can quote, if I can, Stephen, from two legendary coaches, one, one from um, uh, a man called Cus Diamato, who was a legendary boxing coach in the 1970s and early 1980s, and probably best known for Jose Torres and Floyd Patterson, and, and more recently after them was Mike Tyson. Uh, now, um, Cus died in 1985 before Mike reached um, the pinnacle of his career and subsequently unraveled. Um, but Cus, in a, an interview which can be seen on YouTube, uh, was asked a similar question, you know, what defines success for you? And he says, and I quote it as, as he said it, he said, I don't become successful when uh, I get a fella to win the championships of the world. He says, I become successful when I help that fella win the championship and become independent of me. And when he said that, it just hit me right between the eyes about, wow, what a profound statement, you know, what a profound statement to make in a world where coaches are trying to justify their position, a world where coaches are trying to put constraints on athletes to stay within their program, to stay within their club, stay coaching with them. But here's a man who's saying success to me is when they leave, you know, when they leave me and become independent. And I thought that really was profound. So for me, that's something I would like to aspire to. And, and similarly, um, um, there's a football coach, a soccer coach from the States called Anson Dorrance, uh, one of the most successful soccer coaches um, in the history of female soccer in, uh, in the States. And he coached the University of North Carolina for years and, and coached the women's uh, international soccer team to a world championship um, in 1994. They won for the first time at the first women's world championship. And in his book, a biography called The Man Watching by Tim Crothers is a great book especially if you're a coach to female athletes, which I, which I am at the moment, um, the same question was asked. And, you know, the man has trophies among trophies among trophies attached to his name. There's no end of it. But the accolade that sticks out for him the most was when he was asked by one of the uh, athletes who had, who had retired, so had moved on from the sport and was getting married. Um, and her father had passed away a couple of years previous and she asked him would uh, he walk her down the aisle and of, of all of the winnings and trophies and accolades that he has won that's the one that stands out the most for him and he summarized it by saying it's not the medals of the trophies that stand out but it's the amount of invitations to um, life mile, milestone events um, in your athlete's career when they move on that you're still part of their thought process. They still think about you and they still understand that you're part of their everyday thinking, that that is the definition of success for a coach. That you've made that impact, that you're still, uh, you know, you're still in their thoughts, even when they've moved on from the sport. Yeah, that's, and that's powerful. And it's, um, it reminds me of something Liam Morgan said. Um, he, he, one of his greatest successes is he says, um, he sees a guy go for a jog every lunchtime um, around Ashbourne or whatever that he used to teach. And he, he's not a person who won a lot of medals or anything like that, but that person is still running because of his influence 20, 30, 40 years ago, whatever it may be. And for him, that's what he defines success as, you know, and it's it's powerful when you think about it like that. It is powerful, it's profound, and it, it makes you think. And because you're thinking about it, you have to consistently evaluate if, you're, if your own coaching behaviours are going to, you know, result in a situation where you're going to get an invitation to a christening or a wedding or a 21st or whatever the case may be yeah, no, it's really for me that's something i'd like to aspire to you'll be getting a load of invitations now over the next few years. well i better <laughs> <laughs> i'm just putting it out there <laughs> um best book resource that you'd recommend to coaches i know you mentioned a few already feel free to mention them again or yeah 
Um, I, I picked three books. Um, when you sent me the email about that particular part of uh, that particular question, I picked three books I think that I that I enjoyed the most. Um, and and one of them I did mention Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think you'd probably remove that word people and put in coaches because I think they're the same attributes of highly effective coaches. And the seven highly <coughs> effective um, habits, if I can name them, I have them written down here. <coughs> Excuse me. Go for it. Was one was to be proactive to begin with the end in mind, to put first things first, to think win-win, to seek first to understand and then to be understood and to synergize and to understand the interdependency and the success of a team. And seven was to sharpen the saw, which I think was a very interesting analogy um, in, in doing something different, um, different to your, to your sport, doing something else to keep you sharp and to keep your wits about you. The second book I picked was Talent Development, um, a practitioner's guide by uh, Anya McNamara and Dave Collins. I love the work that Anya uh, does in terms of talent development, and um, because I can kind of I can relate to it as a as a coach who's brought young people through a sport through through a pathway. Um, I remember listening to Anya at the last DCU masterclass and just think what she brings to coaching is 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 a uh, is phenomenal. And I would recommend that book to any to any coach regardless of the um, the level that you're coaching at. And then the third is uh, The Sports Gene by David Epstein, which is a really great book about the nature-nurture um, debate and a book that was kind of spurred on by um, other such publications as Bounce and that, which kind of put forward the 10,000-hour rule of mastery and deliberate practice and stuff like that. So maybe my three top books I think I could recommend. Yeah, three three top books. And uh, yeah, we're big fans of Anya on the show as well and uh, hoping to get her back on. And, and uh... Yeah, she'll be fantastic. Yeah. Um, so last question, and thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, what are your top tips for developing coaches? Um, I think probably what we've, what we've touched on maybe at the start of, of our, of our chat was number one, embrace the role. Um, you know, don't just be that coach that turns up for an hour on a Monday and a Friday to shout instructions at people, embrace the role. It's in, it's in its entirety and understand that as a coach, you've been entrusted by people, by athletes, by teams, with their own physical and mental development within uh, within sport. So um, don't pay it lip service and um, understand what the role of the coach is about. I think number two then is just to develop that um, skill of being a reflective practitioner, uh, constantly questioning why you're doing things, uh, constantly asking yourself questions, what am I doing, why am I doing this and what's the outcome I'm looking to achieve? Now three, I think it's just never stop learning. I think coaching is an endless journey. I don't think there's a summit, I don't think there's a peak um, it's an endless journey of learning, um, rich with information. Um, and if you if you go down that road of continuous learning, um, you can get caught in a maze and a sweet shop, as I referred to earlier, of information. And just take what's from all of that information, take what's useful for you and useful for you in your coaching practice. John, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, you mentioned the reflective practice there. It's, a, it's, it's stuff that's talked about all the time, um, I, everyone we have on the show. Um, we actually it came up so much we actually put together like a little handy free guide for people so that we'll, we'll tweet that again and people can download if they wish and um, but listen john you've been phenomenal with your time uh, we could spend an hours talking here there's so much for people to take from this um you talked about at the start about uh the coach that people are giving are trusting you with their goals and aspirations and you have a responsibility to be as best as they uh, to get them to be as best as they can be and a powerful message that I pulled out of it as well earlier was you talked about 
um not seeking recognition as a coach whereas that's what the medals etc is about but by not seeking recognition as a coach if you get that mindset automatically then the other good stuff is, is going to come and happen um the messaging around not knowing your philosophy etc yet uh, is really really powerful and uh, I, again i know i mentioned it earlier but i'm going to say that quote an awful lot coaches like to help people and if people remember that one thing from the show today i think uh, we'll be doing everyone a good service so john thanks a million thank you for listening to the show we hope you can take something from it that will help with your own coaching journey as always you can listen or subscribe on apple podcasts spotify and soundcloud and you can find us on all social media channels at bubble coaching on twitter facebook and instagram please get in touch because we would love to hear from you the show was produced by niall williams and brought to you by the coach education department of the camogie association thanks again for listening till next time bye